Welcome to Spoiler Peace Theater, the podcast that doesn't give a shit about spoilers. We just want to talk about the movies. My name is Dave Riedel. My pronouns are he, him, and I write about movies for some places, and I'm a member of the Boston Online Film Critics Association. My name is Evan Crean. My pronouns are he, him as well. I am co-chair of the Boston Online Film Critics Association and co-author of your 80s movie guide to better living. My name is Megan Kearns. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm a contributor to Edge Media Network. And I, too, am a member of the Boston Online Film Critics Association. Why, yes, you are. <laughs> sure am. Yeah. Hey, it's the show and we have movies to talk about. Funny how that works. And so this week, uh, we have three movies we wanted to talk about you nice people with. They are Four Good Days, Limbo, and Tom Clancy's Without Remorse. But first, first, the Oscars <laughs> just happened. And Hell yeah, have, they did. We have things to say, goddammit. Maybe not goddammit, I don't know. But um, Megan, <laughs> I feel like you have the Oscar list in front of you. I do. So do you want to kick things off for us? Well, I do, but I don't even need to look at the list to kick things off. Son we of a need, bitch. Oh my God. Son of a bitch. We need to fucking celebrate. I've been celebrating for days. The monumental historic win of Chloe Jaw, winning best director. Ah, I'm so excited. Not only is she the first Chinese woman, the first woman of color, uh, the first woman of Asian descent. She's the second woman who's won in 93 years, which is Exciting, but also awful that it's only been two women mm. in 93 years. But mm -hmm. oh my God, I'm so excited. So excited. Yeah. This is a time when I would, use, about the 93 years thing, that's when I would use the phrase, that's some bullshit. So, well, it is you know, some bullshit. Throw that in there. Yeah. I but just it is some to bullshit. <laughs> but I, I mean, I have made no secret about my absolutely, my, my huge love, my adoration for Nomadland, for Chloe Jaw's work. I'm such a huge fan of of her vision and her direction and her editing. And I'm just, I'm so thrilled that she won. I can't, you know, it just coming off of such a shit show of a year and the weirdest Oscars, which we will get into, but it was just, it was such a delight. It was absolutely so exciting, thrilling. And it was, it was also, I'm not going to lie, exciting that the person I was rooting for, for the film I was rooting for, that was my number one film of last year, won. It was just like, woohoo. That's pretty cool. I mean, yes. that you feel that way. <laughs> yes. I mean, all of those things are cool, but I'm glad you're so excited about it. But I am. I'm, I'm going to be that person and say, until I read on Sunday that the Oscars were Sunday, I didn't know the Oscars were Sunday. And I'm pretty sure I actually like wrote that on our Instagram page. Yeah, you did. Uh, yeah. I thought you were joking, actually. I was not. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, it's not that I didn't know the Oscars. It was just that, like, all of a sudden they were here. Um, not all of a sudden, but it was like, no, blah, blah, not blah, all of a sudden. Lots of Sundays, <laughs> lots of Sundays, lots of Sundays. Oscar Sunday. What? You mm -hmm. know? So that's what happened to me. Evan, how about you? Were you on pins and needles? Were you waiting for the Oscars? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I don't really care that much about most of the award shows that come and go. The Oscars is like the one show that I tune into. And so I kind of like knew in the back of my mind it was coming up, but it was just, you know, it's, it was a weird year <laughs> in terms of like, you sure. know, being a little bit later than it normally is. And then having like some weird things with the ceremony, you know, limited capacity, some people coming in remotely from a remote locations the no zoom rule, which I thought was kind of a shitty thing for them to do. Um, oh, it's not, a majorly shitty thing. 
I just thought that was really crappy. And uh, I don't know. I it was um, Steven Soderbergh was the director of this year's ceremony, right? Yes, I remember that correctly. Yes, he was. Um, and so I figured he would do some interesting stuff. And I think there were some decent ideas, although I think I'm sure I'm not the only person to say this, that, that there were some weird choices that ended up with some like bizarre dynamics for the night. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Like, do you mean not having best picture be the last award of the evening? Yes. Yeah, that that's was weird. Very strange. And getting some of the like big categories, just like slamming them in the middle of the show or the, toward the beginning of the show. It was just very strange order to put some of these things in, <laughs> at least in terms of, um, you know, normal award show progression. I have liked the like no host thing that they've been doing the last couple of years. I think, I don't know. It, it moves for me, moves the ceremony along. It makes it feel a little bit snappier. And there wasn't really much in terms of silliness aside from that, like music trivia that uh, Questlove and Lil Rel were doing, which was like a weird aside, I thought, but um, yeah, I don't know. That erupted in Glenn Close dropping shit tons of knowledge about hip hop and and then doing debut. Yes, <laughs> I mean yes, I have to he say he did debut. What? Yes. See, that's why you should fucking watch the Oscars. I guess so. I mean, if only for or, like that's a great song. So yeah, or or at least watch the recap. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Glenn Close is a class act, and she's amazing in all ways. <laughs> But yes, Ooh, then did. you will be interested in my opinions about four good days. But continue, please. Well, more to get to that. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I lo- I was I was totally in on the Oscars from the opening with the you know great music from Questlove that you know he was DJing all night and having Regina King walk in and having the camera follow her in, which very much felt like a heist movie. Which you know very much I was like I was like ooh I feel pumped mm-hmm. to watch like Out of Sight right now. And but it was great. It was such a great opening. I loved it. And then I loved I mean, Regina King is the best and I adore her. And I love how she talked about, you know, the trial and how she said, you know, if the trial had gone very differently, she would have to wear not her heels, but her marching boots and talking about being a black mother of a black son and how even though she's very privileged, you know, having the career she does, she still obviously worries about the safety of her son. And it was just such a it was such a moving moment and such an important one. And I'm sure it's one that many black people feel too. And I think it's important for people who are not black people, white people and other people of color to hear. So it was just, it was great. But yeah, Evan, like you, there was definitely some strange order choices of the awards. I mean, usually they start with best supporting actress. So I'm not surprised Mm -hmm. that they started with the big one right away. It was different though by doing best screenplay. But, and I was like, oh, we're doing a truncated version of the show. So we're going to move it along faster. And no, that didn't happen. And yeah. And I just, I feel, I feel like in a year where you have not one woman nominated for best director, but two women nominated for best director and their films are nominated for best picture. I think it's appalling to not have had them be best picture at the end. It, it's such mm-hmm. a huge mistake. And, you know, I know that there's, I'm not, I haven't read in the past day, so I don't know if anyone has come out and clarified this in the past day, but I know there was various speculation about why they had best actor at the end. Like, was it to honor Chadwick Boseman? Were they so, you know, so convinced he was going to win that they wanted to end on that? Mm -hmm. Or was it the fact that Steven Soderbergh was kind of doing a massive throwback to the original Oscar, Days of Oscar, where it was not best picture as the last category? 
regardless, I think it was awful. And one of the producers did come out and talk about it. And he said that it was a calculated risk and he thinks it's one that would have paid off because people are talking about it. But somebody had a really good observation about it is that is that they were so if if it was that they were so convinced that Chadwick Boseman was going to win and to see you know his wife crying or to see other people crying like they're capitalizing on black pain and trauma and that's really gross and mm-hmm. i was like yeah that really is it like any way you slice it i think it's it's an awful choice but anyway i'd rather talk more about the i mean we could certainly talk keep talking about the award show itself but i'd rather talk more about who won i find that really interesting So I'm curious what you guys think. I wonder why Christopher Hampton is ever nominated for an award ever. But okay, so he won a screenplay award this year. Fine. Um, Were we not going to talk about him first? Okay, sorry. Um, (laughs) I don't, I had to be like, wait, Christopher Hampton. I didn't see that movie. So I didn't have an opinion. I didn't have an opinion about like it winning (laughs) best adapted. He wrote The Father. With, oh, um, right, right, right. with someone else. I can't Florian remember. Zeller. For some right. reason, I always remember Florian Zeller and I never remember Christopher Hampton. Whoops. Well, if you look at all the movies that Christopher Hampton has written that should be good but are not good, it's kind of astounding. Like Atonement, Dangerous Method. Um, I mean, Quiet Americans, acceptable. Mary Riley. Like, what this, what's that fucking movie? Um, but did you see The Father? I didn't. That's the thing. Yeah. See, there I, we go. I don't know if we can really comment then, because yeah, because we haven't seen the father. Well, I, right. I'm just saying that I've seen a lot. I mean, he's written so many movies, and I'm kind of astounded by how many of them I've seen. And I would say a good three quarters of the movies I've seen, I think, are crap. So that's just that. Whatever doesn't matter. It's just one. <laughs> Not that it doesn't matter. Opinion. I just think it's on a different. Yeah, I just would be curious on your thoughts about what actually won. Like, well, see, I would not be, other movies in yeah. someone's oeuvre. <laughs> well, I'm kind yeah. of interested to see The Father, but I just, it, you know, I, I, I was gonna see it, and then I remembered that movie from a couple of years ago. Uh, Still Alice, I think it's called, where Julianne Moore's character mm-hmm. has yes. early onset dementia, and I was just like, yes. I just don't want to go through that again. You know, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, I just, I don't. Um, so maybe that's a little bit selfish on my part. I don't know. Uh, then again, I didn't really want to see, um, you know, a, a, a woman get murdered at the end of promising young woman, but that happened too. So pff, whatever. Yes, it does. Um, yeah. and that's a great I mean, I was, screenplay. Yeah. Which one? I was glad that one. Best mm-hmm. original. Yeah. I thought that was, I mean, I, had, I haven't seen Judas and the Black Messiah, but I, I would have liked Sound of Metal or Minari as well. But I'm glad that Promising Young Woman won. I know that was like kind of a divisive movie for people last year. I was one of the people who loved it and thought it was fantastic. And it, so I was really psyched that it won Best Original Screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the screenplay is probably one of the weakest parts of that film. So I'm kind of surprised it won. I'm not surprised, actually, because I feel like that's a film that if they're going to award anything, they're going to award it to the screen. They're going to award it Best Screenplay. Right. But I feel... Like, I would have rather seen, like, actually, I really would have rather seen Viola Davis win, but I would have rather seen, like, Carrie Mulligan win because I think that performance, it's a show-stopping career-best performance. Um, yeah, I was excited for Emerald now because I love her, and she's, again, talking about, you know, women winning. She's the, only the second woman, you know, who's won, or she won, a woman hasn't won that award since Juno, since uh, Diablo Cody, right? Um, which is such, you know, a long time. So, yeah, but I also, I would have loved to have seen Minari when I would have loved to have seen Sound of Metal because like you, Evan, I think those are absolutely brilliant films. But so, yeah, so even though my pick wasn't Promising Young Woman, I was, and I have, as I've shared, problems with that film, 
it does a lot of things right. And yeah, so I was excited because I do like her writing overall, even if not for this so much. But speaking of Minari, Ooh. I want to talk about how exciting it is um, that Yu Jong Yoon won. How exciting is that? It's very yeah. exciting. Actress. A she swearing, a smoking, spitting grandma. <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> she did give a really good speech. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed her speech. It was She's just, hilarious. Yeah. And that was one of the things I liked overall about those Oscars. It felt a lot more grounded. It felt like a lot more personal with people with their speeches. Like, I don't know. Something to me just felt like a more of an emotional connection. And maybe that's because the, the stage was so much closer to the audience. I, I don't know. Something about it to me just felt more personal, especially her speech in particular. Just really heartfelt. Very funny, um, just really great speech. I really enjoyed seeing her talk. Yeah, and such a great performance too. Mm-hmm. I I would go out in the limb and say it's just because we're all so different now from how we were last year, or at least I mean I am. Everything everything means more to everybody. You know, does that make sense? So speeches are more heartfelt, feelings are more felt, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, um, which is. Uh, kind of related, which is why I'm glad that Daniel Kaluuya was recognized for Judas and the Black Messiah, which I think is kind of a crummy movie with a great performance by him in it. Yeah, he's great. That's another one of those strange movies where it's like, why is this movie not just about Fred Hampton? I just don't understand what the reasoning is for that. He's the compelling character, you know, as as good as Lakeith Stanfield is, is like or Stanfield is like eh, I don't know why it's his movie. Why isn't it Fred Hampton's movie? I just wanted to get that in there because uh I like Daniel Kaluuya a lot and um who knows if we're ever going to get another Black Panther movie. So if we'll get to see him do that, I'd be interested. Does anybody know what he's doing next, by the way? What his next thing is? Because he's like kind of a movie star now. I didn't mean to put you on the mm-hmm. spot. I violated no, I the podcast rule of not knowing the answer to a question I asked. Sorry. <laughs> I'm looking right now and it doesn't. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't look like it. Ha- I mean, I'm sure he is working on something, but no, I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, if anybody has any thoughts on him, great. But do you want to talk about the one you're most excited about, Megan? Your favorite movie of the year, Nomadland? Oh, yeah. I mean, I already talked about how I was so excited that, well, yes. that Chloe Jaw won and that it won Best Picture. But yeah, I mean, I, I've written about the film. I've talked about it on two episodes. I've talked about it on the Oscar, our Oscar nominations show. I'm talking about it now. So yeah, I mean, I obviously could keep talking about it. I love it. Um, I will say kind of to bring something down a little bit off of the Ooh. high of the excitement. Yeah, I mean, I love that it won. I I have made, again, no secret that I love this film. I know that there are people who have a problem with this film. And as far as its depiction of Amazon goes, and I think it's a very valid point. I think for me personally, I think that people are not necessarily, I don't want to say they're not paying attention because I'm sure plenty of critics are paying attention. But I feel like to me, it's just a very subtle dig at Amazon and how broken our system is financially and how broken the American dream is. And to me, it's very evident, even though it's not kind of hitting you over the head with it. But what I will say about it is that it's interesting that the, that the Oscar voters awarded a movie about people who are transient and live out of their vans and don't have homes. And yet, from what I read on Twitter, 
they kicked out all of the homeless that were living around the station, the train station where they held the Oscars and they made them move to another area so people wouldn't see that there were homeless people. And now granted, being homeless is different than living out of your van. And I don't think a lot of people necessarily get that, that it in the movie addresses that too, that there is a difference that Fern in the film, you know, she's not homeless, she's houseless, which is a very different thing. But at the same time, it's really tone deaf and insensitive to be awarding a film about economically marginalized, struggling individuals who don't have a you know, financial safety net. And that's part of the reason they're living out of their vans and yet to kick homeless people out. So it's like, wow, way to, way to miss the point. That, that is strange. And I cannot believe I'm going to play devil's advocate on this. And don't think that I agree with what I'm about to say, FYI. <laughs> but they didn't know who was going to win before they kicked all the homeless people out. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. That yeah. being said, you are absolutely, I am right there with you. I'm just, yeah. I don't know why I felt the need to do that. Yeah. But. <laughs> no, but I understand. No, you're, you're not wrong. I get what you're saying. I just, yeah, but back, back to the happy part of it. Happy, yes. I, happy, happy. But I will say it is very, it's very heartening to me that a film that I love one because so often the films I love don't win or get um, nominated or get don't nominated. Yeah. Very uh, oftentimes they don't. And so to see something that's, that's not only been almost universally acclaimed for the across the award season, but then also nominated for an Oscar and then also having it be such a historic nomination and then also winning best director and best picture. It was just really, it was great. And I, I think the film is just a really subtle, beautiful film. And whether you have problems with it or not, I think it is inciting great conversation and sparking great conversation and necessary conversation about the role of art and about the way stories are told and about the way politics and stories merge and, and diverge. And so I think I think all around it's great. Sweet. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen a little more Sound of Metal Love, but that's just me. So. Me too. I mean, it did get best editing and sound design, but yeah, I would have big deals for that movie. Yeah. yeah, but no, I completely agree. I would have loved to have seen it get more love too. Like it would have been great to see Paul Racy. It would have been great to see Riz Ahmed. I would have loved that. Yeah, I, I think that Riz Ahmed kind of gets. I mean, everyone loves him generally, and his performance in that is widely acclaimed. But I think he does get overshadowed by Paul Racy's performance a little bit because Paul Racy's like a revelation in that part. It's like, I, I'm not, uh, I don't usually be like that person doesn't look like he's acting, but he doesn't look like he's acting. It just looks like that's who he is. And if you've seen him in other stuff, that's not who he is. So it's, (laughs) you know, it's just kind of like a totally lived in part. You're Um, absolutely right. It reminds me very much of the non actor actors in Nomadland and how natural and lived in those parts are because that's them. You know, yeah. but again, you know, Chloe Jaws eliciting those performances. And I would say Darius Martyr is, you know, obviously eliciting a performance out of Paul Racy, you know, and, and I think it is a very personal performance from him, you know, since well, he is the true. child of deaf parents. And so he is tapping into something very personal, but to be able to look so natural on screen is a gift and is a talent and it's a talent of the actor. And it's obviously a talent of the director to pull that performance out. And I think, yeah, I think Darius Martyr does a great job at that too. Yeah. Yeah. Evan, anything else from you? I mean, I think the only other thing I would add is I'm just really sad that Wolfwalkers didn't win Best Animated. Yes. I know. I mean, I'm the only one of, of the three of us who liked Soul, 
but I uh, no Wolf Walker should have won. Yeah. I I Hands just down. I feel like I've become frustrated that, that like it basically like if Pixar makes a movie, it's like almost guaranteed to win an Oscar, whether mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. someone it's else nice. made something better or not. It's just it I find it really frustrating. I was just gonna say I think another I I completely agree. I also think another problem is is that voters don't watch everything and I think if you're only watching the big things, if you're only watching the things that are the most buzzed about or the most have, you know, have the most marketing, you're going to miss some of those, you know, smaller mm-hmm. indie films, which is why this Oscars was so exciting for me, because there are so many indie films that are being awarded much more than in other years. So, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I hope that there isn't some weird like corrective that the Oscars seem to do. It's like, all the indie movies won last year. This year, it'll be fucking big movies. You know, <sighs> really, ugh, that always, it just seems like it always happens. So I'm kind of not going to like hold my breath waiting for it, but I wouldn't be surprised next year. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, I agree. <laughs> it, the pendulum does seem to swing. Um, any closing thoughts, gang? That sounds like a no. No, I was just, I was waiting for Evan. Sorry, I was trying to be polite. <laughs> oh, no. No, I think we've covered it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just excited selfishly that so many so many films and performances that I loved were nominated and not all of them of course. Nobody gave First Cow any love at the Oscars, which is very very sad or The Assistant. No, nobody ever gives Kelly Reichert, you know. Nobody gives Kelly Reichert love and it's very sad. Yeah. She's the best. She's she's one of my favorite directors. Big fan of Wendy and Lucy, but you know, whatever. Oh my man. god, that's a heartbreaking film. It but really we could is. we should stay on target because yes. oh my god, I could talk about that for hours and hours. But yeah, no, but I you know, I think oh, the other thing I do want to say is that speech um by Thomas Vinterberg when he won for another round, it fucking floored me. I had no idea that his daughter died. Yeah. Like, two days into production like oh my god that was so heartbreaking um but yeah great film though but it was very very sad but yeah this was a this was a weird this was a weird oscars very weird anticlimactic ending to have joaquin phoenix go off script and then not have anthony hopkins there because they wouldn't let him zoom in and i'm like really you're not gonna let you're not gonna let him zoom in whatever but anyway okay so a lot of yays well, from weird and sad, let's move on to sad and uh, <laughs> or whatever Yikes. else and talk about four good days. Oh, yeah. Four good days. No good teeth. So this movie is uh, it's about a woman decides she's she's a I guess technically she's they call her a junkie. She's she does a lot of heroin, but she's also done. She's done everything. And she has come home to she's played by Mila Kunis. Her name's Molly. She's come home to. Her mom's house, Glenn Close, to try to get clean and sober so that she can, she goes and she detoxes and she finds out she can get this shot that will basically make her immune once a month. It's a real drug. I can't remember the name of it now. But basically, it's like, um, there's another thing. It, it's, it's a blood, they call it an opioid antagonist. Yeah, I think. it's a blocker. It basically it prevents you from getting high. And so, but. The deal is, if you get the shot and you have any opioids in your system, you can get seriously, seriously, seriously ill, have serious withdrawal, and possibly Mm -hmm. even die. So at the end of the detox, she's been sober for four days. You have to be sober at least seven days to get the shot. 
they say, all right, we're going to do eight days total, four more days just to be safe. And so this movie is basically about those four days when she's trying to stay sober so that she can get the shot. And does she stay sober, everybody? No, she no, does not. Diving no. in spoilers, that's what we do. No. <laughs> no, she does not stay sober, unfortunately. No. And she goes and, and gets the shot anyway and goes through violent withdrawal. <laughs> yeah. And, and I would think that, the, the, well, aside from the fact that withdrawal is withdrawal, if you're going to be vomiting that much, you might um, dehydrate to death. I don't even know what the term for that is. You, you don't have enough water in your body to survive and you can't replace quickly enough. So anyway, what do we think of this movie, this performance, these performances, Glenn Close, Mila Kunis, et cetera? Um, so I just want to say I was really excited to see this because I love Rodrigo Garcia's film Nine Days, which is an anthology of nine different short films, which Glenn Close is also in. Um, I also really loved Albert Knobs, which is a very unusual film, um, also starring Glenn Close. <laughs> this is also based on, I think it's really interesting, this is based on a true story, the Washington Post article um, right. by Eli Saslow, who also co-wrote the screenplay with Garcia. But yeah, I. I liked this. Um, I like Mila Kunis. I love Glenn Close. Love her, love her, love her in just about anything and everything. Yeah, I think, I think Glenn Close does a really spectacular job showcasing how enabling her character is to Molly. Yeah, um, her boy, daughter. is she. So, like, <laughs> just watching, there's so many things I'm like, oh my God, don't do that, don't do that. Um, yeah, having had people in my life who are in recovery now and dealing with relapses and whatnot. Yeah, it's obviously very difficult. And yeah, but the one thing I've learned is you cannot enable like that's just no. And seeing her doing it over and over again is just kind of gutting. But also, you get it. But also like, no, but I think she does. I think she tackles that very well. Um, and I think Mila Kunis does a good job as someone who is addicted to drugs as well. Um, I read in our press notes that she did a lot of research. She she went to meetings. She went. She talked to people in programs. She talked to people in recovery. She watched a lot of videos about like how to shoot up heroin and what you know, the shakes look like and and withdrawal looks like and everything. And I think it pays off. I think her her research does pay off. Yeah, I'm going to just jump in and say that I think Mila Kunis, uh, post that 70s show, has become quite a performer um, when given a good director to work with. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I am going to have to disagree with you on Glenn Close, I'm afraid. That's I'll okay. I'll leave it there. You don't have to be afraid. <laughs> no, not I'm afraid. It's just that I actually found her performance um, really distractingly unnatural. Oh, I didn't say it was natural. Ah, fair enough. I never said that because <laughs> um, I would agree with you. It's not. And and really, I just didn't believe her. I just, every time I saw her, I was just, this is Glenn Close playing a mother who's at the end of her wits. <laughs> like the every time. Um, and it even bled into Stephen Root's performance a little bit. Oh. Like I thought. And one, I always think it's criminal when you have Stephen Root and use him that little. But um, that's all that's really required of him. That's that's how the screenplay is set up. Yeah, whatever. yeah. His his character is supposed to be kind of like hands off, detached. Right. Like yes. it's so obvious from the the get go 
that he has an emotional distance from this that she doesn't because it's her daughter. Like right. he's very quick to like, yeah, just leave her out there. Kind of like his attitude is like, yeah, don't let her in. Like, don't, don't get involved in this again. Don't get, you know, he's very quick to be dismissive of Neil Kunis's character. One thing I think the screenplay does get right though, is how his character is, he's not a dick about it, but he doesn't, it's, Detachment, I think, is a good word, Evan, because he's just, he's so detached. He doesn't have the emotional connection. And even though he doesn't mean to be cold or heartless or whatever, that's how it comes across. And it also comes across, across mm-hmm. as, and I think Glenn Coase's character accuses him of like using platitudes. Um, and that I found yeah. very accurate. But um, yeah, just the Glenn Close performance just didn't work for me the way it did did for you, Megan. Um, but overall, I thought the the movie was actually a pretty good. I mean, if you've ever been addicted to hard drugs or known people who have, they got that part right. <laughs> but I think on the whole, it's kind of a mixed bag performance wise. Although it has some really powerful moments. Um, mm-hmm. The classroom scene. The classroom really scene. In. It's good. Oof, like when that yeah. young woman speaks up and she's like, I'd never let myself get that far. That's the kind of thing where you just want to be like, look, kid, I know that you think you know everything, but it's a good thing I don't have a bat with me, you know, because you're an idiot. Oh, I know. No, that's no. a fucking Let's not horrible. advocate violence against young I'm not young advocating <laughs> violence. Jesus Christ. So um, it's like that scene in particular, that's, you know, Mila Kunis's performance in that scene is really good and heartfelt so i think that performance is is um that scene is very raw it's a very raw moment very like naked emotional moment and i think mila kunis knocks it out of the park there it's uh, it's i i think yeah I've, i liked this film i think there's some really great performances i do like glenn close although i see a little bit of what you're saying, Dave. There are moments where I kind of feel like I'm watching Glenn Close play this character, but I still, I still think she gets the 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 emotional truth of the part. And um, mm-hmm. there's just, uh, I think, part of what makes this story so compelling is this like constant push and pull, where you you see both characters, you see this mother and this daughter, and you see in so many instances where they are both right in a scene. <laughs> Like they're both right in the way they're feeling about the other person or being annoyed about the other person for, you know, uh, you know, Glenn Close being upset that she can't trust her daughter or, you know, being annoyed about this or that or Mila Kunis being upset that her mom won't trust her or give her a chance or, you know, like there's mm-hmm. so many scenes where you can identify with each one. I think for me, one of my issues when I was watching the movie is I feel like when I was watching it, I felt like the movie was judging Glenn Close for her inability to feel comfortable or to trust Mila Kunis's character, which I think was totally understandable. And I feel like the movie kind of like was being judgmental of that. Like, oh, why can't you just trust your daughter? You know, she's really going to get it this time. And then when she does reveal the fact that she's been using again and that she's lied a bunch of times in this like intervening couple days uh, to me that kind of took the wind out of my sails a little bit even though i know we've we've set that 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 dynamic of the push and pull i just feel like the movie got me to judge glenn close and then i felt like an idiot (laughs) 
<laughs> was like, oh no, she was totally right for like being skeptical of her daughter and worrying that she was lying this whole time and being so high strung. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's difficult about addiction, right? It's, it's, you know, when you're the person who's not addicted, where do you decide to draw the line or uh, they're both right. It's like, you have to trust me. Okay. I have to trust you, but I have years of evidence to back up, not trusting you, mm-hmm. but you seem more serious this time. Yeah. It's like, you know, what do you, what do you do? So I don't know. That was a personal issue that I had with the movie as I was watching it. I feel like the movie was kind of like setting me up to judge Glenn Close. And then when it turned out that she was right, it just really annoyed the crap out of me because I feel like there was such a solid foundation of that like push and pull and they're both right. And they, I mean, the fact that Glenn Close decides to give Mila Kunis her piece so that she can pass the the test oh and like... God get the shot even though she goes through violent withdrawal and then like even that moment at the end which is four months later Mila Kunis is like got her life back on track she's getting the shot she's you know seeing her kids more often uh and then there's that like decision of like oh she can watch her kids on Friday instead of getting the shot and just wait till Monday to get the shot and like Glenn Close has to have that moment of like I really think this is a terrible idea, but I can't tell her not to. She's going to make her own decisions. And oh my God, that moment just was like, um, yeah. but I love, I love how it ultimately ended where they sit down in the garage and they finish the puzzle that Mila Kunis had been working on. I thought that was a nice kind of bringing it all together moment. Mm-hmm. And then they restart it. Don't, don't forget that part. I think it's interesting, Evan, that your watching experience was different than mine in that I that you thought the film was judging you for not judging Glenn Close or, you know, for not trusting her daughter. And it's funny, I didn't have that experience. To me, it was just like, yeah, because when people are in the throes of addiction, they often lie and they hide it. They hide their addiction as much as they can quite often and so Mm -hmm. to me I just thought it was just kind of like a yep this is what it is no wonder she doesn't trust her because she's been burned so many times before because and you know it is it is an illness and it's it's a sad one and it's a gutting one and I think the film is incredibly gut-wrenching and you said raw and I had that in my notes too that's a very raw film um but yeah I didn't I didn't judge it's interesting I didn't judge Glenn Close's character for not trusting her daughter, I judged her for giving her the pee and for enabling her. And mm-hmm. like, that's what I was like, not so much judging, but more like, oh my God, you should not be doing this, which I guess is judging. But mm-hmm. yeah, like I understood why she would do it. But yeah, and it's interesting that she uses Stephen Root as he says, like, don't, don't use me as your emotional punching bag. Every time she comes around, you do that. And he has to lay very firm boundaries because she keeps venting against him and yeah and it all makes sense but i'm just like oh no <laughs> don't do that mm-hmm. the one scene i wanted to talk about too sorry i just want to this is kind of off what we've been talking about but the one scene that i think is a complete misstep and misfire for me was the scene about the trans woman that uh mila kunis's character molly had gone to high school with oh and- yeah the realtor Yes. And talking about her transition and misgendering her and oh, it just was so cringy and I was just so uncomfortable. And then like Mila Kunis is like, you know, oh, good for her. And, you know, we shouldn't be laughing. Good for her. But then she's like, 
God, if that isn't a life reset, I wish I could do that. And I'm just like, oh my fucking God, this is so awful. And so just, yeah, made me wildly uncomfortable. I'm really insensitive. Yeah. That's it's not a great takeaway from the situation because like that's, sh- that, that's a triumph for that person to yes. like be able to be themselves finally. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It just felt like such a diminishment of what trans people go through. Yeah. Right. It's not an eat, pray, love moment. <laughs> no. yeah it was definitely strange at best yeah yeah it's strange to include that you're absolutely right like why why is that scene there what is it elucidating like i don't i don't get it like it's awful and it's not really revealing anything about your characters other than they're kind of transphobic yeah or trans yeah whether it comes from ignorance or whatever yeah yeah that's the right Right way to put it. I mean, on the whole, this worked for me, although I did find I did find it unfortunately kind of predictable. But um, I think that's because I know a lot of junkies. So <laughs> more than anything. Um, but eh, what are you going to do? I think that um, Mila Kunis was good. We know how I feel about Glenn Close. <laughs> and it sounds like by and large, we all kind of thought, yeah, OK, OK, four good days. Are we moving on to Limbo? You want to move on to Limbo? Let's move on to Limbo. Sure. Limbo, which is not about going underneath a stick without touching the ground. Uh, (laughs) This is a movie about being a refugee. Uh, I think Omar is the main character's name, right? He's a musician. He is Syrian. He is stuck in uh, on an island off the coast of Scotland, trying to find out whether he's going to be approved get his asylum request approved. That's, mm-hmm. and it's basically about waiting. That's why it's called limbo. He's not, he can't go back to Syria. He can't leave Scotland. He um, can't work or do anything. He can't work or do Scotland. anything. <laughs> and he's stuck with a bunch of other people in the same boat, um, metaphorical boat. Yes. And <laughs> I don't know what, um, what did everyone think? I thought this was an incredible film. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was poignant. It was moving. It was uh, gorgeous to to watch. Just like just fantastic cinematography, great performances. I just I was all about this movie. Ooh, I could yeah. not agree more. I was not into this at first because I was like, I'm not into this comedy. I'm not digging it. I, I kind of zoned out, and then something shifted, and I'm not exactly sure where it shifted, but something shifted, and I found this a disarmingly moving film. And I actually watched this a second time and I loved it even more the second time. Oh my God, there's so much. Everything you said, Evan, I completely agree. Um, Farhad absolutely breaks my heart. Um, The fact that you find out why he left his country and why he can't go back to Afghanistan is so sad that, I mean, it's not sad that he's a gay man, but it's so sad that, you know, he reveals, he's like, I can't. You know, he's like, and because Omar's like, why don't you go back? Why don't you go back? And he's like, I can't, I can't be myself there. And it's like, as soon as he said that, I was like, and I mean, there's clues before, you know, the fact that he idolizes Freddie Mercury and Mm -hmm. he says it's because they're both Zoroastrian, but I'm like, no, I don't think that's why. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, there's kind of a hint, but yeah, to have it confirmed that way is just, it's just such a gutting moment. And then when he has the chicken, Freddie Jr., and then he gives the chicken back and he says, Shukran, you know, thank you. Like, I was just like so moved. And he talks about how the chicken is, the new one is getting picked on. And there was just something so, uh, 
that's so moving and poignant about that because clearly he's talking about, you know, himself and other people feeling ostracized. And yeah, and the scenes, the fact that um, it was like the scenes that Omar keeps watching over and over again on his phone about his performance and his parents and his mm-hmm. brother cheering for him. And he hasn't played the Oud in since he's left, you know, Syria. He hasn't played, but he carries around the case as if he's everywhere. Everywhere he's carrying around his past, he's carrying around his identity, he's carrying around this mm-hmm. burden, and he just he can't, you know, reconcile the fact that he's not where he wants to be, and he's not with his family, and he can't do anything. And then, uh, just the performance at the end, and how the camera opens up from its narrow aspect ratio to the widescreen. It's just, mm-hmm. I think it's done beautifully. I think the performance is beautiful. Just, oh, there's so many things. The imaginary conversation with his brother, like, oh my god, there's oh, that just, conversation just, with his brother. Ah, uh, uh, it was just gutting, gutting. It was, yeah. yeah the uh, the movie just shifted for me from like this kind of like whatever comedy then because I thought it was going to be about the white people and I thought it was going to be about you know the refugees having (laughs) having to assimilate and it's interesting because in the press notes for this um, the director Ben Chirac talked about how he went to Syria and and his experience being in Syria and living there really moved him and to study Middle Eastern film and depictions of you know Arab people and Middle Eastern films in in culture and our culture and pop culture and he didn't want to make a film that was focused on white people. And I'm like, thank fucking God. And I think it was just such a smart move. And I think this is such a beautiful, smart film. And I just, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny you say that about the, the kind of dark comedy in the opening. Cause actually for me, I found that like really funny and like the, <laughs> like, wow, these people are so tone deaf. The ones that are like giving them their like, English lessons mm-hmm. and like teaching them about consent and stuff like that opening scene where it's like the awkward gross dancing with like the woman and the man and she ends up like <laughs> smacking him like just so hard across the face for like trying to grope her uh, and then like the job interview it just I don't know the whole I used to be scene where they're like I used to be this I just thought that was so tone deaf and awful of them that like only people who think they're doing a service to other people could like think of something that shitty to have them do. Yeah. But that scene where the guy stands up and he's like, I used to be happy when I was back home and I used to cry myself to sleep every night. And now I have no more tears to cry. I was like, Oh my oh, God. Like that's yeah. so sad. So yeah, tragic. There's, there's a lot of gut punch lines and mm-hmm. scenes in this movie that just like really gets you. And uh, to your point earlier about the narrow aspect ratio, um, the fact that this, almost the entire film is in four by three uh, mm-hmm. is I think really indicative of how our main character Omar is feeling like he's in this like wide open space in like the Scottish countryside, but it could not feel more confining to him because like there's tons of space, but there's nowhere to go, nothing mm-hmm. to do. And he's just trapped there. And I just thought that was just so effective throughout the movie. And at the end, when it does switch to widescreen, I just was like, oh my God, this is perfect. This is like the perfect way to end this movie. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting um, thinking about that too, is about feeling confined is that quite often the four refugees, um, they all live together, they live together and they're often like huddled in the scene together. (laughs) And so it feels Mm -hmm. even more like confining and claustrophobic. So Mm -hmm. yeah, really smart choices. Yeah, I I agree with absolutely everything you both have said. Um, Yay! The uh, it's kind of interesting how you both feel differently about the humor at the beginning because um, I remember 
thinking about, because I saw this about a month ago because I can't remember why I, oh, I remember I requested it. And then this is one of those movies where it's like, you have 72 hours to watch it. I'm like, but it doesn't come out for four weeks. So <laughs> it's like definitely taking notes for this one. So, um, so I watched it and I remember thinking the humor at the beginning, there was this movie that came out and I want to say 2010, 2011 called Chicken with Plums. That is one of the, it's just this movie that just sets my teeth on edge. It makes me so angry. And it's got the same kind of humor running throughout it that that um, that Limbo does here at the beginning. But Limbo, one, is a smarter movie. And two, you realize pretty early on, I thought that they're doing this to just, this is, this is supposed to throw us off. This is supposed mm-hmm. to make it seem yes. lighter or whatever or funnier than it actually is and then we're going to get into the meat and i think that the way that you know the 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 screenplay shifts over time and i hate to use the phrase peeling an onion but it's like just every six minutes seven minutes you're like oh this thing about this person oh this thing about this person oh this thing about this person like the guy who runs the grocery store who who's Scottish, but he's of, I can't remember where his family is from originally, but he's Scottish and he doesn't have any of the spices that, um, that, uh, uh I can't remember. Omar. The Omar. Omar. Thank he's, you. He's Correct. of Pakistani descent. Yeah. He doesn't have the spice that, that Omar wants. And Sumac. Yeah. Sumac. That by the end of it, he gets the spice and it's kind of a thing, but he's it's, still, that's a great, it's a, that's it's a great, a great thing. But he's still kind of treating him like shit the whole movie before that, you know, but it's like finally like, okay, here's your spice. I I don't know. I just the kind of humanity in just that simple gesture, I I thought was just, I don't know, I I found that moving. And I found like Mm -hmm. you, Megan, the 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 imaginary meeting with Omar's brother just I mean, when his first of all, when his brother walked in there, the first thing I thought was like, "Wait, why is his brother here?" And I'm like, "Oh, this I mean, is a dream." I yeah. I'm like, yeah. "Oh, this is he's imagining this." I was, I was like, "How the fuck did he get here so fast?" I, I know. I was, I was really like, "Wait a minute, come on now." Um, and then, uh, oh, yeah. oh, but one thing I wanted to mention, and this doesn't bother me, but it's, uh, you know, the ood is. I think the movie, you know, they talk about how gifted Omar is as an oud player and this, that, and the other, but I don't really think that, and I don't really know that the movie wants to do this or needs to do this, but they don't really let you know just how difficult the oud is to play, even for people who can play other stringed instruments really well. It has no frets. It is a short neck. It's it, like if you've ever played one, and I play guitar very in a very mediocre, rudimentary kind of way, picking it up, it's truly like, I don't even know what the fuck to do with this thing. So, so the idea that he is just such a gifted musician, you already know, before you know anything about him, he's got this instrument that if you can play it in the part of the world he's from, you're kind of a hero. And then he's stuck in Scotland and he can't play it because he can't play it emotionally. And he can't play it because who would give a shit anyway? And it's just the whole thing is just so sad, you know? So when he finally does play it, and like you two said, the aspect ratio opens up wide, it's kind of like almost like a sigh of relief, even though he's still yeah. stuck there. Um, and Farhad has gotten his asylum request, so he's yes. leaving, you know, which is a good thing for Farhad, but they're also both kind of like, oh, shit, well, let's see you sometime, maybe, guy. 
But that scene is so sad when he's like, yeah. do you hate me? And he's like, Omar's like, no, this is a great thing. And he's like, oh, and clearly he, Farhad was so worried that he was going to hate him. And uh. Yeah, it says a lot of things about the two of them with, mm-hmm. you know, so few words. And um, yeah, I, I just, this movie was just an all around, you know, winner for me too. Yeah, this movie made me sob. Like I was crying a lot. Mm. Um, speaking of the oud for a moment, one of the things that I found really, really well done visually in the cinematography and in the editing is how persistent there are flashes of the strings being tightened. Yes. And, yes. And, which clearly indicates Omar's tension and frustration and anger and kind of everything building. So I thought that was a really, really great visualization of that yeah. interior yeah. life. Yeah. This is one of those rare movies where um, just ev- absolutely everything works. Um, yes. And the filmmakers, you know, Ben Sherrick and then the actors and just they're like, they were all on the same page. Everybody understood what they were there to do. And it just, wow. You know? So yay limbo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, any any parting thoughts before we move on, gang? It's a great movie. Just that it's so good. Yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> I'm actually sad that my screener went away because I want to watch it a third time. <laughs> I know. It really is. It's so good. I don't think I can recommend this movie enough. So Yeah, like I just, I think it just, it caught me so off guard. And I know we've talked about that, but like it just, yeah. I was like, what a lovely, lovely surprise. How just emotional and how wrenching it is and just so many truths about humanity and connection and identity and feeling displaced and being a refugee and oh, just kind of everything. It's just so good. Well, on that note, speaking of truths about humanity, oh God, let's move on to Tom Clancy's <laughs> without remorse. And here's a truth about Tom Clancy's without remorse. Somebody go ahead and say it for me. I have remorse watching this. <laughs> <laughs> for starters. Um, <sighs> Well, it's, it stars Michael B. Jordan <laughs> as yeah. a Navy. That's probably the high point. Yeah, that is the high point. Michael B. Jordan. Uh, in, as, in a, I'm just going to break in here, Evan, and say in a very mediocre at best performance, which is really surprising coming from him. Yeah, I think a lot of the problem with the movie is the writing. Yes. I mean, well, let's, oh, God, let's, yes. let's, let's summarize the movie real quick first, and then we'll dig more into like what the problems are with it. But Michael B. Jordan plays John Clark, a Navy SEAL who goes on this like path to avenge the murder of his wife. And then he's like part, you know, in, kind of peeling back layers on this larger conspiracy that it's just, it's so predictable in so many ways of like, oh, as soon as we see Guy Pierce, who's like the Secretary of Defense or whatever the fuck his position is. You're like, okay, he's the villain. Like, we've seen Jamie Bell. He's an asshole. But, like, we know that Guy Pierce is actually the villain in this. Like, we're not, we're not, don't be fooled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just so astoundingly disappointing how you can have this much talent behind the camera and in front of the camera and just fucking make such a turd. I mean, <laughs> One of the problems with, and I, th- and I think this is true of a lot of Tom Clancy, you know, Tom Clancy, the novelist who has been dead now for what, about a decade, um, he was like a Cold War novelist. And then three, four novels into writing about the Cold War, the Cold War's over. What are you going to do now? 
And so then he yeah. spent the rest of his career writing these trying fucking, to bring it back. Yeah, these fucking <laughs> dumbass conspiracy theory, CIA, whatever novels. And I've read a couple of them because like every, you know, everybody a generation above me who is a dude who had anything to do with the military had all of these books and just fucking devoured them. So I'm like, all right, maybe these guys are onto something. And you know, Hunter Road October, good book. Red Storm Rising, good book as far as like story goes. But then you get into this other stuff and it's just like this fucking right-wing jerk-off fantasy bullshit. And that's how it feels on screen too. It's like, I'm sorry that your wife was murdered. That is a truly terrible thing and your child. But then just this whole weird revenge, whatever. And I also don't believe anybody would recover as well as he did from those wounds mm. that he had, by the way. Yeah. Let's just throw that out there. Yeah. I just want to, before we continue, since you brought it up and I'm so glad you did, Dave, I just want to talk about the fridging of his wife is the most egregiously disgusting thing about this film for various reasons. And fridging is always gross. I always fucking hate it. But also considering the violence that black people face every day in the world, this is feels even more horrible and awful that she's just gunned down for no reason. And couldn't they just have had his his colleagues be killed and then he could avenge them? Like anyway, it just right, yeah. it's so gross yeah, yeah. and unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. It just speaks to the bad writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and then I I feel like aren't we kind of over this like my wife's been murdered. Now I'm just gonna murder other people. Like <sighs> there's there's a there's a line I think in Brooklyn nine nine where uh Andy Sandberg says something like that's cool. Still murder. You know, it's like he goes, <laughs> yeah. he, he just, he just keeps murdering all of these people. Like he kills a Russian diplomat. Like he sets a car on fire. He <laughs> gets into the car. Yes, he does. He, he murders a Russian diplomat in cold blood and burns a driver alive. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like what? what the fuck are you doing? How is that justifiable <laughs> by any possible standard and then he just like they go to russia later in the movie and they're just gunning down random soldiers and like just killing random cops and other people and you're just like what like i'm sorry how is any of this acceptable yeah it's not it's gross this movie also commits one of the cardinal sins of action movies which is to have all the action scenes be dark so you don't know what the fuck is going on (laughs) and it's like all right i'm a lay person I was never in the military, so I understand that fatigues all roughly look the same. Now, explain to me in, you know, visual terms why they can tell the difference between their own team members and other people who are wearing the exact same shit. Yeah. That. Well, you find out later they can't because that's how Michael B. Jordan sneaks out. He like sets off a bomb and then <laughs> yes! throws on a, a gas mask and walks out and none of the Russian soldiers realize that he's American. So, Which, by the way, is one of the major plot points in The Professional, but whatever. Let's just fucking steal from a Luc Besson movie from 1994. Why not? <laughs> it's a better movie. Yeah. Um, I will yeah. say, though, speaking of the action, since you brought it up, I will say the one, one, one good scene that I liked was the prison cell fight scene. I that loved, was effective. Yeah. Yeah. It's great that he puts the t-shirt around his wrist or his uh, hand to, to brace it. And then he's got the sink going to overflow. So it's slippery, very smart, really tense and really well choreographed that one scene. And then I was mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe this movie's picking up. No. Yeah. That was no. a kind of wish fulfillment. I feel like that scene, like watching like, 
a black man in prison take down a whole group of guards dressed in riot gear with his bare hands. I just thought it was like, this is like such an exciting scene to watch Mm -hmm. and an interesting way to flip the script. And then we didn't get more stuff like that. I mean, other than as a character, he continues to persist in situations where he might not otherwise because of like just racist people in the military or in the government. It's sad because I feel like there was a really good opportunity here to make an exciting movie. And I think some of the action scenes I think are good and entertaining, but the the story is just so weak. Like the villain's motivation for like trying to restart a war with Russia because it's going to supposedly unite people in the country oh again. So dumb. That's so that's so stupid and just the dialogue in this is terrible. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> like Michael B Jordan has so many of these like dumb one-liners and like he says things that like he'll like just kind of ramble into like a rant about something like I trusted them to take care of me and they didn't take care of their own. And you know it's just like it's lines like that where you're like <laughs> He's like not even talking about things anymore. He's just mad about the government betraying him or whatever. (laughs) But, you know, that would have been an interesting, potentially interesting film if it was actually about being mad at the government. But this movie is so fucking mediocre and so formulaic and just uh, it should be ashamed of itself. What a waste of Michael B. Jordan and what a goddamn waste of Coleman Domingo. My God. Mm-hmm. He's so wonderful, and I was so excited to see him. And then he's in it for like two quick scenes, and I'm like, "What a waste!" Yeah, it's a waste the, of Jodie Turner Smith. It's just ugh, this movie just pissed me off. It, it's kind of, it's. I was excited to see this because I just thought, you know, my hope whenever I see Tom Clancy's name is my hope is it's the Hunt for Red October. It's going to be as good as the Hunt for Red October. Never, because because what you because <laughs> the thing about the Hunt for Red October is it doesn't matter that that's a Cold War story. Because that's a story about like people who are good at their jobs, like escaping dangerous shit, <laughs> you know? So that's what that movie is. I mean, that's not what it's about, but that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. None of Tom Clancy's other adaptations that I have seen, and I've seen a lot of them, are anywhere near that level of skill writing-wise or direction or acting. And the other thing I would like to mention is the John Clark character. Before Tom Clancy died, I just looked it up. It was 2013. I think that John Clark is in 12 or 13 novels as the main character or a major supporting character. And then he's in like 10 posthumous novels that are written by other people with Tom Clancy's name. So to have this fucking psycho killer be the hero of an entire franchise, like what the fuck weird. I I just don't even know that sociopathy. I mean, it's so bizarre, you know, like how is this anything to be proud of as a writer, you know, let alone, you know, it's kind of like how, if you ever read the novel death wish, and then you saw the Charles Bronson movie death wish, you'd be like, these are two different fucking stories. Like one's about how vigilanteism, the book is a terrible idea. And the other one, the movie, is about how vigilantism is the best thing that ever happened to New York City. So mm-hmm. I kind of like wonder what the source material for this would be like, because I don't really remember The Cardinal of the Kremlin because I read it when I was like 15 or whatever. So just the whole thing is just ugly and nasty and rah-rah masturbatory crap. I just hate it. There, there's, I've, I've said, there's my soapbox. 
Am I wrong about anything? Did I get anything wrong? I, no, I said I hated this and this pissed me off. So I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to think about it. Like Michael B. Jordan, we've seen him in interviews and stuff. He's a really smart guy. And he knows that he just, he knows he makes smart choices. So I can only assume that when he said yes to this, the script was very different. That's the only thing I can think of. And through the process of rewriting and adding other actors and whatever, I mean, I just don't know. I, I just, this is just all around so awful. It's really kind of hard to understand how it even happened. I mean, yeah. Taylor, Sher- uh, Taylor Sheridan is not a bad writer. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, Wind River is great. Sicario has problems, but it is great. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Hell or High Water, but I know it's like almost universally beloved. And you're part of the universally beloved <laughs> that I was speaking of. So, yeah. So, it's very strange. Very strange. I mean, I know he's not the sole screenwriter here, but yeah. It, I can see Michael B. Jordan being like, wait, a big budget action, or maybe not big budget, but a big action movie. You know, Taylor Sheridan's writing. Ooh, okay. I'm in. You know, I could see how someone would be like, yeah, this yeah. sounds great. Yeah. And this movie obviously had some money. So, I mean, maybe it's not super huge budge, but like there's some, like the whole thing with the Dulles car setting, you know, crashing the car, setting the car on fire, whatever, you know, you work with real fire that costs money because that shit's dangerous. Very true. (laughs) You know, so like, and the people, and it looked real. It looked, you know, very cool. It was a terrible scene, but it looked good. Um, But just a, a lot of the, I just, just so much aside from like you said, Evan, and and you know the prison beatdown scene, or maybe Megan said that I don't remember which one. one I of did. You, okay, yeah, great. Everything else is just like borderline morally reprehensible, <laughs> you know. And guess what? We're getting a sequel. <laughs> mm, yeah, just ugly. That's the word I'd use. The whole the, the whole exercise is just ugly. Guy Pierce, Guy Pierce. When you put Guy Pierce in a part that small, it's Roger Ebert spelled it out for us years ago. When you have an actor of that caliber in a part that small, you know who your villain is instantly. Mm-hmm. But nobody not necessarily because he's also in the tiny role in the Hurt Locker, and he's not the villain. <laughs> well, yeah, I, <laughs> I think you could. I think you could argue that the Hurt Locker. That's a different, different kind of. Totally, I'm joking. Tiny. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, anybody else, anybody want to add to any of our previous rants <laughs> mm, about this movie? Yeah. Mm, no, <laughs> just bummed. It just bummed overall. This movie does not very good. And the, it just, you know, the ending was anticlimactic. It's just, I don't know. It's just it's so stupid. many problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, I do have one more thing. The reason I wanted to talk about Limbo right before talking about Without Remorse is that they both are dealing with people from Syria in very, very different ways. And mm. granted, actually in Without Remorse, it's actually dealing, uh, Michael B. Jordan is dealing with the U.S. government, obviously, and with Russia, with the Russians. But in the beginning, it's, they're supposed to be going in on a mission where there are Syrian, maybe terrorists, I'm not entirely sure. But I was just like, oh, fuck this movie. We're getting people from North Africa and the Middle East and Arab people who are, again, the villains and seen as terrorists. So I was glad that that didn't happen. But still, at the same time, Michael B. Jordan, seemed kind of, his character seemed kind of like mad. <laughs> it wasn't that it was the Russians. Anyway, 
it just, it was, to me, it was like such a weird but stark contrast about respecting people from different places. But anyway, I digress. This movie's no good. Well, folks, that's Spoiler Peace Theater. Wow. What, uh, mm-hmm. what, a, what an interesting, you know, one movie we were all like, yeah. Another movie we were like, we love it. And then to end without remorse. I kind of feel like we owe you an apology, listeners. <laughs> well, no, limbo's hashtag great. no regrets. Yeah. No regrets. yeah. Without remorse, hashtag no regrets. <laughs> but we should talk about where you can find these movies because we haven't done that yet. Yes, we certainly should. So um, you guys are going to have to help me out. I know that Without Remorse is on Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, you have Without Remorse. Limbo is available in limited release and on demand, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And somebody help me with Four Good Days because that I don't remember. Yeah, it looks like it's in theaters. Yes, it's in theaters um, today and then it will be on demand starting May 21st. So there you go. And that is Spoiler Peace Theater. Uh, thank you for listening to us talk about the Oscars. We had a good time doing that at the top. Um, if you haven't seen Nomad Land, simply because it is historic setting and Megan liked it a lot more than I did, if you guys recall from a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Nomad Land, whatever. <laughs> but it's a big deal. So, and also Minari and Sound of Metal. We Minari, loved those two. Exactly. Promising young woman. You guys love. Yeah, it's it's you know mm-hmm. it's like you were saying, uh, Megan. You were so happy because you know a movie that you, lots of movies that you liked so, so much, but one in particular was the big award winner. We all did like we liked a lot of movies that got a lot of recognition this year. So that's cool. That yeah. like, never happens. I know. Um, it's nice. So anyway. So that's Spoiler Piece Theater. Thank you, everybody. I uh, want to give a big thank you to our editor, Otto Clammer. Thank you for taking the heavy lifting out of our hands each week and doing it for us. Thank you, Otto. Thanks, Otto. If you are a Spoiler Piece listener and you want to tell your friends about us, tell them that they can listen to Spoiler Piece anywhere they want to listen to podcasts. So blah, blah. You know where you listen to podcasts. Go there, get it, download it, subscribe. That would be great. You can also find us if you want to at spoilerpiece.com. You can find us on social media. Spoiler, we're Spoiler Peace Theater on Facebook. We're at Spoiler Peace on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. If you would like to get in touch with us and tell us, no, 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 Dave, um, actually, Without Remorse is the greatest movie ever, and here's why. You can do that, <laughs> spoilerpeace at gmail.com, or you can give us a call at 86221peace. And you can leave us a voicemail, and you can use as many F-bombs as you like to say that Without Remorse is the greatest movie of all time. And what are you thinking, Dave? He's Michael B. Jordan made a great career choice. Um, Sure. Anyway, if you like the show, please rate and review us by going to ratethispodcast.com slash spoiler piece. If you want to do it on Apple Podcasts, that helps us out a lot too. If you really, really like the show, uh, consider joining our Patreon. This week, our exclusive audio is uh, a poll, a poll result. We do a poll each month. We have our you know, $5 and up Patreons vote on it. The poll was about hair movies. Patrons, you chose the movie Bad Day. And so we discussed that at length over on our Patreon. You mean blow dry? Blow dry? What did I say? Bad day. Bad day? What the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> oh, patrons. You know why? It's because I looked at my, my notes really quickly and I saw the letters B and D. <laughs> <laughs> and I said bad day. Blow Dry, starring Josh Hartnett and Alan Rickman and Rachel Lee Cook and Natasha Richardson. That's the movie we talked about, the poll winner. And while we're at it, we would like to thank all of our patrons by name. Yes, we want to give a huge thank you to Bill Scaham, Bob Chipman, Charles Nash, Chris Wilkinson, Davida Margolin, Deirdre Crimmins, Christopher Jensen, 
Max Coville, Mike, Lord of the Sith, Rory Glynn, Sean Pensionar, Shauna Harris, Shelley M. McCaskill, Shona Glasgow, and Zach Pigeon. Thank you so much, patrons. Thanks, patrons. Thank you. And my name is Dave Riedel. I write about movies for some places. You can follow me on social media, Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram as Dave Sees Movies. My name is Evan Crean. I'm co-chair of the Boston Online Film Critics Association and co-author of your 80s movie guide to better living. You can follow me on Twitter and on Letterboxd as Real Recon, and that's real as in film reel. And my name is Megan Kearns. I'm a contributor to Edge Media Network. I, too, am a member of the Boston Online Film Critics Association. You can follow me on Twitter at OpinionSWorld and on Instagram and Letterboxd at TheOpinionS. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.